Hey there, church. It is an absolute privilege to be here with you. My name is Nick Wood. I am one of the assistant pastors here at church, and I've just been itching to get in front of a camera and to start preaching the word to you. So I got to tell you, this is my favorite place to be right now. Um, it's been a special privilege to get up here right now because there's been congregations at church that I haven't been able to meet yet. Um, so it's really my, my honor, my joy to be able to bring the word to you today. Um, and to any visitors we have here, we love that you're here. We love that you're here. Um, we live in a culture that loves to elevate the things of success, of wealth, of wisdom, of intelligence. Um, we love to enshrine our favorite movie stars, our favorite artists. We love to look to the billionaire businessman who's done something that we've never seen before. We love to just fawn over the newest Apple product. We have so many things that we just delight in that are so slick and beautiful and powerful and glorious. And there's a tension that I feel as a Christian because I kind of want that. Can I just be honest with you for a minute? There are moments in my life where I, I actually want that that picture of success and ambition to be realized in my life. Um, and I wonder if you've ever felt that tension too, that you want to, on the one hand, live a faithful and obedient life to Jesus. But on the other hand, this whole world is just screaming at you that the way that you've chosen is completely wrong. Um, you will gain nothing by following Jesus in the way that you're currently following him. You need to just turn around from that, that backdated and, and backwater view of the world that Jesus has established. Um, and instead, listen to us. We can show you where wealth is found and power and ambition. Um, there's a, a temptation, I think, when we look at the world around us to just fudge it a little bit. Um, maybe to hold on to our faith, not give up on Jesus entirely, but as we make our progress on our careers or in our families or at school, um, where we just kind of do what we need to do to get ahead. You know, Jesus is still there, but we're just going to make sure that we have a little bit on the side. And sometimes doubt creeps in too. We look at the success of the world and we look at ourselves and we think, am I in the right place? Do I have the right faith? Do I have the right view of the world if this is what it looks like? Well, some too is a very strong word for anyone of you that are like me who have felt those things before um, because it wants to just crystallize our view of the world so that we can truly see what is going on. The way I want to do this is I want to look at two different layers of Psalm 2. The first layer um, is very, very simple. Um, it's something you've probably heard before, but I promise you that you need to hear it again. This is it. You ready? Layer one, Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Let me show you Psalm 2. Have your Bibles open with me. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Um, this is a picture of the authorities and rulers of the day celebrating their power, celebrating their glory, and in fact, opposing God with it. They're delighting in their own triumph set against the God of the universe. And what does God do? How does God respond as he looks at our rulers, our glory, our authority? What does he say? Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. He just laughs at it. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. And he terrifies them in his wrath. I don't know about you, but that's 
That's a challenging word to look at the most successful and powerful figures in all of history and to look at God himself and he's just laughing at them. He's scoffing at them. They are nothing before him. And that's the word that I want you to recognize straight away right now, that every moment and dream of power and ambition is alluring. It's true. It's it's, it's promising something wonderful that you want for your life. That's true. But when you take any moment of power or glory and you set it before the living God, let me guess what? It falls down. Nothing can stand before him. Anyone opposed to him cannot compare. You might have a mighty big dog right in front of you and it could be pretty terrifying. I've been bitten by a dog before, not a fun experience. Um, You might be scared of that dog, Um, but what happens when you open a cage and the lion comes out? The dog's got nothing. You might have an enormous fish, um, a terrifying fish with big sharp teeth that if you were swimming, you'd be terrified of, right? What happens when you drop that fish in a shark tank? It's not going anywhere. A shark's going to win. Glory, power, honor, influence, everything that our world enshrines seems lovely. Um, But that's only a very small part of the picture. Because when you stand back and you look and see the living God, those things just start to pale in comparison. They start to show their meaninglessness. In reality, at best, the things that this world can offer us in all of its goodness is temporary. And at worst, it's actually an offense to God. So here's the challenge. We actually need to shift the lens through which we look at the world. So many of us right now as Christian people are wandering around the world with a faith in Jesus, but we're looking at the world with the lens of the world. And so we see the things of the world and we're allured by them. We love them. We want them. But that's because we haven't come and allow God to change the way that we look at the world. The metrics of success by which we measure everything around us cannot be the same as the world. The metrics of success and in fact the metrics of blessing and goodness in life need to be reshaped by God. And let me tell you, here's what God says blessing looks like. In verse 12, the very last line, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in King Jesus, the Messiah. So here's here's my strong word for you. Here's my strong word for me. Jesus is King. Jesus is king. I don't care what ruler, authority, power, influencer you want to hold up to him. Jesus is king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And if you are following or pursuing any other king, you will be inevitably disappointed. And more than disappointed, you will be confronted with your inadequacy when he comes to bring justice and judgment upon this whole world. Look with me, Psalm 2. In verse 6, God says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. 
destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. We are talking about King Jesus, the Messiah. The the Israelites who originally would have been singing and reading this psalm together had a hope in a Messiah to come. But you and I, we know his name and his name is King Jesus. And one day he is going to return to this world and bring justice and judgment to every single person, to every single moment, to every single injustice that's ever been committed and every moment of this world will come into scope before him and he will judge it. In Philippians 2, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me tell you that there are many things in this world that are worthwhile and seem wonderful. But once King Jesus returns, you better hope that you're on his side. I told you it was going to be a strong word, right? Jesus is king. And my question for you is, have you submitted your whole life to him? Have you submitted your whole self to King Jesus? A word that I I think is so important that we rescue is the word surrender. Have you laid down your own arms, your own ambitions, your own hopes and dreams for yourself in this world? And have you come and worshipped at the feet of King Jesus? Because blessed are those who take refuge in him. There's true blessing when you come and you find yourself, not in yourself, but in him. You can imagine that as every little part of your life is just sitting before you on a table, there's a token for every little part of your life, every facet, your family, your work, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions. Um, They're all sitting there right in front of you. And you've got a choice. Are you going to take them and shove them in your pockets and walk away from the table? Or are you going to push them forward and just let them sit at the feet of Jesus? And allow him to use those those facets of your life for whatever else he would like to use them for. If you take them for yourself, there may be moments of glory. There may be moments of power. But ultimately, we know Jesus is king. And that true blessing, true happiness, true meaning, true, true satisfaction, eternal joy and glory comes from taking refuge in him. That's the first layer. Jesus is king. I want to ask you, What do you need to lay at Jesus' feet? How do you need to submit to him? And if any of our friends here today, um, you're watching and you actually have never given your life to Christ, you've never laid down yourself and said, Jesus, you are Lord, this is the moment to stop living for yourself and from yourself and to say, Jesus, you are Lord, I submit to you. What ambition do you need to give up? What selfish motivation do you need to put at his feet? Because Jesus is king. Now, the second layer, I think, really brings home why it's worthwhile to submit to King Jesus. Um, We talked last week about how Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the introductions to the whole book of the Psalms. Psalm 1, we, we saw this beautiful picture of the blessed one who meditates on the Lord day and night. Psalm 2, we see this, this enthroned King Jesus and that we find blessing when we take our refuge in him. That actually helps us read the entirety of the Psalms. Why? Because we are supposed to see the journey of King Jesus in the Psalms. We're supposed to see the process unfold of King Jesus being enthroned in heaven over all things, bringing his justice to the world. So Psalm 2 is really just the spoiler, right? It's like you're trying to go watch a basketball game that you love. I love basketball. And someone tells you the score before you even get there. 
you're going to watch it through a different lens, right? Because you know exactly where this game is going. You know exactly which team is going to win. As we read through the Psalms, we know exactly where this is going. We are looking for the Messiah to be enthroned. The beautiful thing about this is, and this is the second layer, um, there is a path of glory that Jesus takes. You know, Psalm 2, you've just felt it. Jesus is glorious. But how does Psalm 3 begin? Psalm 3 begins, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. That's a big change, yeah? From, from the king of the universe declaring his authority over the whole world to, oh boy, God, this, this really sucks. This is, this is an enormous change. Why? Because Jesus is enthroned. Jesus is king. But the path that he takes to glory is not just a straight line up. He steps down into lament and suffering and brokenness and pain, and he makes his way back up to glory. This is the story of the gospel. We know this. That Jesus, the infinite Son of God, took on flesh and entered this world. He became this this squealing little baby for a season. He was a, a moody adolescent teenager. He went through all the stages of life that you know. And he stepped into this world and took on that shame of becoming a human. He committed to a ministry amongst people that led to his persecution and people who hated him. He inevitably walked a path that led him to a crucifixion that along the way led to mocking, suffering, torture, and shame. And ultimately, he died. Can you see how the infinite son has made a journey down into the pits of suffering and lament. And that's the journey of the Psalms. We see it time and time again. The pain of God's people crying out to him, where are you, God? So many of the Psalms are actually taken up on Jesus' lips because this is his journey. But how does the story finish? Death does not have the final answer. Death has been conquered. Victory is certain. And King Jesus rises from the dead in glory. And it doesn't stop there because he ascends to a throne in heaven where he sits eternally in control and in power before he returns to this world, not as a meek human, but as the king of glory with a multitude of angels behind him to bring justice to this entire world. We see a path all the way down to the depths of brokenness and all the way up to the heights of glory. The Psalms are a beautiful, beautiful book because they give us words to express our own faith, but they also take us on the journey of Jesus. And so we're going to go through the Psalms for the rest of this series, and you're going to encounter lots of different kinds of Psalms. There's going to be wisdom Psalms, teaching Psalms, kingship Psalms, there's lament, there's praise, and you're going to be blessed by each of those, and I really hope you are. But as you read each one of those, just remember this beautiful journey that you're going on, the journey of Jesus, King Jesus leading to his glory. But I want you to go more than that, because it's not just Jesus's journey, it's your journey. And one of the most famous statements that Jesus made for his people was in Mark chapter 8. Let me read it for you. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. Here's what he says. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is the Christian life. That tension we felt at the beginning of wanting more power and glory for ourselves, that is the antithesis of the Christian journey because the Christian journey is to walk after Jesus with our cross in hand heading to the crucifixion. 
We deny ourselves, our desires, our hopes, our ambitions, and we follow him. So that path that Jesus walks in the Psalms from, from, from glory down into suffering and up back up to glory again, that's you and me. We right now happen to find ourselves in moments of real difficulty. Um, no one's going to tell you that the Christian life is easy. And if they do, they're lying to you. When we say blessed are those who take refuge in him, implicit is the need for refuge. Yeah, um, we need to be able to walk a life that expects what Jesus faced. Persecution, difficulty, suffering. Not just because life's hard, but because in the act of following Jesus, these things will follow us. But we equally long for that moment of glory that we see in Jesus, that moment of explosive resurrection when death is conquered and sin is no more. We're not just resurrected to a new body, but we're lifted up with Jesus to be with him for all eternity, standing face to face with the living God who strikes fear into the kings, but who calls us son and daughter. We stand before him, worshiping him in joyful bliss, knowing him face to face with an intimacy that you and I could only dream of. That's the journey that we're on as we read the Psalms. We see Jesus walk through the gospel story, but we see ourselves navigate the pilgrimage that we are on. So take heart, Christian. Take heart, one, that Jesus is King. Whenever you doubt, whenever you fear, whenever you have a temptation to give in to what this world is offering you, don't ever forget that this world is fleeting and Jesus is King forever. But as you follow him as king and you recognize those moments of trial and difficulty and persecution, don't forget that that was Jesus's journey and that's our journey. And as we prepare to just sit in so many different Psalms that express our faith, I hope you feel like you're ready to be equipped for that pilgrimage, to be, to be filled and given words to express your faith as you endure this world enjoying Jesus along the way, but as you walk towards glory. Can I pray? Is that all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the infinite, eternal God of this entire universe. Would you refresh us of that truth every time we fear and every time we doubt? You say, blessed are those who take refuge in Jesus. So God, would you just put before us the, the beauty and the splendor of Jesus that we might take refuge in him? God, as we take this journey through the Psalms, would you be showing us with our eyes wide open what it means to walk this pilgrimage of faith? Would you give us the words to, to cry out to you as we wander it? And would you be with us along the whole journey? But most of all, God, I pray that you would lift our eyes at every step to see our King Jesus walking before us enduring the cross for our salvation, rising to new life in glory, the life that you and I will experience before God. God, we pray that you might just convict us of that truth and refresh us in that truth. And so we pray all of these things in the name of the sovereign King Jesus. Amen.